Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Praise God. Good evening, everyone. I'm glad you're here tonight, and I want to ask if you will take your Bible and go to the book of Obadiah. Now, we are actually covering two tonight, since Obadiah is one chapter. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. One chapter, and so there's we're going to look at it for a few minutes, and then we're going to jump over into Jonah. So we'll be doing these together tonight. We've got somebody on our side tonight. She said, preach it, Pastor Eric. That's my interpretation of that tongue. There, is, um, there are a couple of thoughts on the book of Obadiah. Uh, the, especially when it comes to the date. Because Israel did go into captivity uh, two different times in their history, it was a, a big event for them. One was under the king, of, king Jehoram, who we've talked about. That is Jehoram II, the second Jehoram. But then there was also those who were led away to the captivity of Babylon. And so there's some disputes whether this was in 850 B.C. or if it was more like 605 to 586, somewhere. And that's when, you know, there were actually four different captivities from Babylon, in, uh, from Jerusalem into Babylon, but during that time. So, but I want us to look at a parallel, because I believe that it, this was more, ha- more during the time. Of course, I don't, you know, know for sure. This is 2016, so it's hard to, we can only kind of speculate by looking through the scriptures really and, and assessing. I think that we have a, a good safe assessment about it being more about the captivity of Babylon, right before they went into captivity of Babylon. So then that would have made him a contemporary of guys like Jeremiah, all right? And, and so I want to make a quick parallel between Obadiah and Jeremiah and show you why I believe it was more during that time. Is that okay if we learn a little history tonight? Obadiah chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 1. It says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God, concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures treasures shall be sought after. Now we're going to jump over to Jeremiah chapter 49 and look through a couple of verses here. And he says in verse 9, if grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, would they not destroy until they have enough? Down to verse 15, is that right? Maybe. Yes, for indeed I will make you small among nations despised among men. Your fierceness has deceived you, the pride of your heart. O you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height 
of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagle, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. Interesting, huh? Um, some of it's word for word. So that's, that's why I think it's safe for us to believe that, that these two men were living during the same era and God was even revealing to them the very same kinds of uh, allegories uh, in, in, their, in their rebuke toward Edom. And both of them are speaking to Edom. In Jeremiah chapter 49, you can see that a little earlier in the text, I think it's verse 7 or so, that he, they're both speaking to Edom. You know who Edom is. Edom is the, they are the, the descendants of Esau, all right? And so when Israel was going into captivity, instead of Edom being basically Jacob's brother, all right, and there was a lot of sibling rivalry through the years between, even though Esau and Jacob eventually made up, and repaired their relationship, yet the generations to follow, there was a lot of fighting. And so instead of um, Esau uh, coming to their brother's aid and, be, and being able to forget just the sibling rivalry itself and then gathering together his family and saying, no, your enemy is my enemy, and even though we have our differences, this is where we make a stand together as family. Instead of doing that, they uh, you can read throughout Obadiah that... that um, Obadiah lists basically five reasons for their ruin. Number one, they treated Jacob or Israel with violence. You can read this from verses 10 through 14 of this little chapter. They aided Israel's enemies. They rejoiced at Israel's calamity. They partook of Israel's spoils. Even when, when, when um, Babylon was coming in and they were raiding Israel, Edom was right there with them gathering spoils for themselves from their own brothers. And they also cut off Israel's refugees. But for a moment, we need to look at chapter 1 and verse 17 and verse 21 because this is where we find, and Jesus really is in every book of the Bible. As I was reading this book, I'm like, okay, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I know you're here. I know you're here. But on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. Mm, There he is. And there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Verse 21. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now, over in Hebrews chapter 12, we can tie this in right with this, with this chapter, with this thought. It says, but you have come to where? Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Aren't you glad to be registered in heaven? To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling. Apparently, we have a fried Twinkie covenant as well, according to Jeremiah. That's fantastic. Uh, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. What Obadiah shows us in Christ is Christ our Savior, Christ our Deliverer, the one who would come and bring fullness of salvation to his people. And that's what his promise to Israel here in this chapter, that he's saying even though Edom has risen up against uh, basically Esau's risen up against Jacob, yet that was not how God had seen it. Remember, he said the younger, the, the older will serve the younger. That is, Esau will always be subject to Jacob. 
And he says, yeah, though you've, you're, you're set up high on your mountains and you think you're impregnable, but guess what? The day's coming when you're going to be brought down because of your pride and because you've turned against your own brother, and Israel will again be exalted in Mount Zion, and Jesus Christ himself will be the king. And I think it's interesting that he says that there will be saviors, there will be deliverers. My personal opinion is that's you. That's you. Because we see that scripture again, as he is, so are we in this world. How how are we deliverers? Because we deliver a message that delivers. Amen. So let's go to Jonah now. We got through Obadiah pretty quick. And you can, you, can, you can read that in about the amount of time I just spoke on it. It's 21 verses long, maybe, maybe even twice through, all right? Jonah, now Obadiah, by the way, is um, the first mention of the day of the Lord is in Obadiah. So just, just to mark that if you, for your own history and for your own Bible knowledge, the first mention of the day of the Lord is in Obadiah. But remember Joel's, we talked about Joel, his whole theme was, the, or not Joel, uh, yeah, it was Joel. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Okay, so now we're going over to Jonah. Y'all have heard the story of Jonah and the whale, haven't you? Have you heard the story? Okay. I didn't know if, I didn't know if the mic was still on. But you by podcast, have you heard the story? Well, I want us to take our Bibles and go to Jonah chapter 3 for a moment. And we're just going to read this. Now, here's what's happened at this point. God has spoken to Jonah. This is interesting because we see Jesus in two large ways here in this, in this, this little story. One, we see Jesus as the foreign missionary. Jonah is going to a people that are not a covenanted people. This is the first time that he's the first missionary sent from God to another nation. That's not how Israel operated at that time. Other nations came to Israel. Israel did not go to other nations. They came to Israel. But now God is sending Jonah to a place called Nineveh. All right, these are full of people like us, pagans, heathens. <laughs> and they, they, are, they have no... This is a picture, this is a small window, I should say, into what God would bring ushering in as far as the new covenant is concerned, and the message of the gospel that he had prepared for all mankind. This is just a little glimpse into it when he sends this Jewish man over to a heathen nation. So he sends him over to Nineveh. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh and and tell them that it's over for them. So Jonah does not do what God tells him. Matter of fact, Jonah runs the opposite direction of Nineveh and is heading for a place called Tarshish, all right? So he gets on a ship and he takes off. Jonah's fast asleep, and the storm 
arises, and the men, the sailors on the ship are, are freaking out, thinking, okay, who brought this calamity on us? This storm just all of a sudden rose like this. The sea doesn't act like that unless there's something going on. So they went down and woke Jonah up and said, what did you do? Where are you from? What's your name? And they're asking him all these questions. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I serve the God who actually made that sea and the sand. And they said, well, what, 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 what's going on? And Jonah said, listen, this is my fault. You need to throw me overboard. And, and then everything will be fine. Well, they didn't want to do that, so they started rowing harder. They, they didn't want to know, I mean, Jonah to die. So then these men start crying out to God. They say, Lord, please, what we're about to do, don't hold this against us. Then they picked Jonah up and threw him over the edge of the boat. But after they threw him over, the scripture says the sea became calm. And it says that these men prayed to the Lord and made sacrifices to him and made vows. Even, I think this is amazing about the grace of God, that even in, jo- in Jonah's running and turning from God, yet God took that situation and made converts right there on that ship. Those pagans who weren't even looking to God, now all of a sudden they acknowledge him as the Lord God of heaven and earth. And, and so God is gracious in that way. So Noah, I mean, no, why do I keep saying Noah? Because of a boat and water maybe. Jonah is thrown into this, this sea, and the scripture says that the Lord had prepared a great fish to come and swallow him, and it did. And Noah was three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. In chapter 2, you see that he, is, he cries out to God. So first, the first chapter, let me just kind of sum up Jonah to you. First chapter, he runs from God. Second chapter, he runs to God. Third chapter, he runs with God. And the fourth chapter, he runs a bit ahead of God. In chapter 2, you can read, it's basically his prayer to God while he's in the belly of that fish. And he's crying out to God. And he ends that prayer with, salvation is of the Lord. And he offers a prayer of thanksgiving and vows to God. And says, salvation is of the Lord. And when he said those words, the Lord caused that fish to spit Jonah up on the shore. Now we're going to pick up chapter 3 in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, by the way, Let me just say this as the memento tonight. God's plan is still intact for your life. His plan is still intact for your life. No matter where you've strayed, no matter when you've strayed, no matter how many times you've strayed, God's plan is still intact for your life. And if you'll turn to Him, He'll just keep on going with you. Okay? It's that simple. It's that simple. He's still very much interested in you and your place in this earth and his plan for your life, all right? You haven't diverted him off course at all. Amen. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So, now listen, isn't this interesting that he says, preach to it the message that I tell you? I think Jonah had an inkling of what God told him that he was going to... Uh, an idea of what he thought God would say, but at this point, this kind of hints to us that God hadn't told him yet what he was going to say to Nineveh. He just knew, I'm going to a people that don't know God. This sounds like fire is going to come down from heaven. All right? And he didn't go, he didn't not go, I should say, because, no, he didn't go (laughs) because uh, he was going to have to bring a negative message. That's not why Noah... Go to Genesis 6. Let's just read the story of Noah tonight. 
No, that's not why Jonah didn't go. He was not afraid, actually, to bring a message of hellfire and brimstone. That wasn't the issue. All right, we're going to see the issue in just a moment, why he ran. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. That is, it takes three days to walk through the entire city. Okay? And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, this is the message from the Lord, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There's his sermon. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, and the greatest, from the greatest to the least of them, then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Poor animals. What do they do? They're not the ones that are sinning. Right? He's like, we're going to put the dogs on a fast too. Dogs ain't going to eat or drink. The cows, none of them. Nothing. Nobody's eating nothing. Nobody's drinking nothing. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Wow. Who can tell? Now, this is the king speaking. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Who can tell? Guys, it's worth a shot. Now, what was, what was Jonah's message to them? In 40 days, Nineveh will be what? Overthrown. Did Jonah give him any other news than that? No other news. He didn't say, but if you repent. He didn't say any of that. That was it. That's the entire message. No good news whatsoever. No hope in that message whatsoever. 40 days, this place is going down. That's it. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented, or the King James says, God repented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Verse, that's it, isn't it? Just 10 verses. God did not do it. He brings this message of doom and gloom. They say, Do you remember the movie Dumb and Dumber? Huh? You remember when he was asking the girl out what would be the chances? <laughs> girl like me and a guy like you. And what you say? One a million? He said, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> All right, so this is kind of the... So there, maybe there's a chance. Maybe this God, and I don't know why the king would surmise this, except maybe he had heard stories about this God that Israel served that was faithful and was good. And so he thought, maybe there's a chance. Maybe if we act like them and do what the Jews do, put on sackcloth, set in ashes, and just do what, do what they do. 
And so they, they did, and God did re relent and did not do what he said that was going to happen. So, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, that's why Jonah ran. Look at chapter 4. Because the Lord said in verse 1, why are you so angry, Jonah? So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I knew you were going to do this. You put this message in my mouth, and I knew that you were going to do it. In other words, you make me look like a fool. You make me look like a false prophet. That's why I didn't want to do this, because I know how you are, because you do repent and you do change your mind, and you're not supposed to change ever. And I know it, and now I look like the idiot. Isn't that interesting that he was angry about this? So then God taught Jonah a lesson. Jonah went out and sat on the outside of the city, the scripture says, <laughs> to see what would happen to it. I thought he already knew. I think Jonah was trying to get God to relent again. He said, if I get mad enough and I show God that I'm really upset and maybe he'll hear my side of the story and maybe he'll go ahead and kill him anyway. <laughs> so he just sat out there and steaming, just waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. And nothing happened to Nineveh. And as he sat there, he kind of built a little shelter for himself, and then God had some pity on Jonah, and so he, he, he caused a plant to suddenly grow up and give him shade during the day, and Jonah was grateful for the plant. And then when, when night came, God prepared a worm, and that worm ate up that plant. So when Jonah got up the next morning, the plant would shrivel up and dead, and then God sent this east wind, this hot wind, and it started blowing on him. And so now he's like mad because the plant died, and God said, there you go. You're mad. You're mad because the plant was, was, was perished. And you didn't do anything to prepare that plant. You didn't plant for it. You didn't plant a seed. All of that was provided for you, and yet you're upset because it's gone. And, and you don't understand why I pity people, the, pity, the people of this city. You pity a plant over a people. That was the lesson in the end for Jonah, that God was showing him that anyone that would turn to him, and he's showing all of us, my family, anyone that would turn to him, he will readily receive. These people didn't even have a right. They're not, they're not covenanted people. But they turned to him. And that's all God is looking for. It says that they believed the word of the Lord. They believed God. And what does faith do? Well, faith does so much for us. Faith is virtually irresistible by our God. No matter what condition people are in, no matter who they are, if they'll believe Him, He can't resist them. Can't do it. Won't do it. So that's the, the attraction tonight. I wanted us to focus on this, <laughs> this very interesting and short story with lots of good lessons in it. But that we have, that Jonah teaches us that we all have a commission from God. 
to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because now, at one time, it was, as I said, people, it, people came to Israel. Israel didn't go to other people. But if they wanted to be a part of Israel, then they would come to them and they would submit to their way. But then Jesus changed the whole thing when he told his disciples, you now go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right? And so that commission is still ours today. Aren't you grateful for that today? And now, one last thought. Jonah 1.17. And we'll, we'll end here again with Jesus. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Matthew 12, verse 38. And some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we see Jesus helping us understand that the story of Jonah, his experience in the belly of that fish, is Jesus' experience. It's his story that he would be buried but he would come back again. Hallelujah. And when he came back again, he brought a message. Now, this message was not a message of doom and gloom as Jonah's was. His message was a message of salvation for all. Hallelujah. Whoever believes on him will receive remission of sins. Praise God. Amen. Does that encourage you tonight? Yeah. Amen. Why don't we stand together? Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord, in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your glory being revealed in the earth today, through your people, Lord, through our lives. Wherever we go, Lord, we are lights. Wherever we go, Lord, we are a letter that is to be read by men. Our lives are on display because, Lord, the greater one lives on the inside of us. And, Lord, because you love this world, Lord, you gave us Jesus. And then, and then you love others, so you put us in their lives. Lord, you love this world. You put your people in their lives so that we would not be silent, that we would be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, Lord, that we would, we would demonstrate the love and the grace of God and that we would, God, declare this good news, this good news that saves men, these words that will save men and their whole house, God, that is Christ died for our sins, He was buried, He rose again the third day, whoever believes on Him will have everlasting life. Thank you for this good news that has come to us. Thank you for this gospel of peace. Thank you for glad tidings of good things tonight, God. Lord, we, we will be faithful to share your gospel wherever we go. We will be faithful. God, grant us boldness. Even as they prayed, Lord, in the early church, grant us boldness, God, to not shy away, to not cower, but God, to be more bold, Lord, especially in this day and age. This, the world needs to hear this message of hope, God. Hallelujah. This message of life, this message of peace, this message of, that will unify men and women, God, that will bring us together and that will stop all of this separation, God, and the prejudice and, and, and the violence, Father God. We thank you for the message, God that penetrates through all of that darkness, God, that light that penetrates through all of that darkness and exposes it for what it is. Father, we thank you for your great love with which you have loved us. 
and unconditional, everlasting love. And Lord, we understand tonight that we love you, but that's not love. In this is love, not that we loved you, but that you first loved us. So we receive your love tonight. We thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us of all of our sins. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us of all, our, of, all, all of our failures, all of our dumb decisions, all of our ignorant ways, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you help us in our weaknesses, even help us in our prayers. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Thank you, Lord, that you know our hearts, you know our minds, Lord. You know what we need, and thank you for helping us to express that. Not only, Lord, in how we know how, but by the Spirit and even by our mediator who is making intercession for us right now with our Father, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you now that you bless your people as they go from here tonight, that they go in grace and they go in peace. I declare that their bodies are healed their minds are sound. Their, their sleep is sweet. Lord, their, their, their days are full of energy. Their bodies are energized. Lord, their minds are clear. Lord, I thank you that they have wisdom from heaven. They have understanding. They have knowledge. They have insight. They have your very present help in time of need. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord, that you favor them. You will bless the righteous. And with favor, you will surround them as with a shield. Thank you for that, that your people go in that blessing from this place in the mighty name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.